Welcome to Something for the Turbo, the new weekly podcast brought to you by Unfound, the global platform for the travel-loving cyclist. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Something for the Turbo. I'm your host, Jules. I hope you're all well wherever you are listening in the world. Thanks for your continued support. Please do subscribe to the podcast if you haven't yet, and please make sure you're telling all your cycling friends as well. And if you haven't yet joined us on the hub, please do download the Unfound app, join a global community of cyclists sharing rides, articles, photos, and much, much more. We look forward to seeing you on there. Today's conversation I thoroughly enjoyed. I caught up with copywriter and journalist Tom Owen. I'm sure you've come across him in the past, but Tom is basically a a journalist. We talk about the stresses of covering this season in in its incredibly condensed format. He talks us through how the live feed at Eurosport works and how he does that. Some amazing adventures that he's had on the bike and writing features for the likes of Cycling Tips, including bikepacking in Spain and Macedonia. We also discuss cycling in Jordan and Greece and many other amazing destinations. But really what I loved about this conversation is Tom's work that he's been doing in Sierra Leone and he gives us an incredible insight into the growing cycling and racing scene in Sierra Leone, Africa. So please do have a listen and if you want to get involved in terms of helping and supporting the growth of cycling in Sierra Leone, do get in contact with both of us and we'd gladly receive your help in, in any way you can. Anyway, without further ado, let's crack on to the conversation. Have a great week, everyone, and we'll see you next week. Let me bring you Tom. Good afternoon, Tom. How are you getting on? You well? Very well, thanks, mate. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. Not too bad. You must be sort of kicking back and, and relaxing after what's been a quite insane few months for, for you, I can imagine. Yeah, it has been quite full on what we're trying to cover all those bike races all at once. It's been some fairly... Fairly miserable weekends, <laughs> locked to the locked to the desk, trying to keep track of it all. But yeah, no, it's nice to to kick back and release the pressure a little bit, and uh, actually get back to riding bicycles. Have you been doing much? I honestly, I haven't done anything for for about three months, so I'm just trying to kick the kick the legs back into gear and um, and yeah, refine that that joy of actually cycling. Yeah, nothing like getting back into it in November. yeah i could have picked a better time so exactly why why don't we kick back a bit and and why don't you tell everyone obviously i've I've introduced you more formally but why don't you give everyone a little bit of an overview of you your background and and what's been keeping you busy particularly uh over the last few months this year yeah sure well i mean i I kind of have two jobs that align with one another so the kind of boring part where i where i actually make a living is um, i run a small marketing agency that specializes in cycling specializes in writing uh, copy and like articles blog posts email newsletters all that kind of stuff for uh, cycling brands and that company is called Fausto it's been going for about three years and um, we have we have a very small team or kind of distributed around the UK and then the kind of more interesting more exciting but not necessarily very well paid bit is doing uh, coverage of, of professional bike racing for people like Eurosport and Conquista, and also doing some some pretty cool uh, bike packing and, and bike travel trips for for the likes of um, cycling tips and the, the Telegraph travel section, people like that. So I think uh, from an outward perspective, a lot of people think I kind of have a dream job where I just want about going to uh, going to cool places and riding bikes. And the reality is actually mostly I. Um, I do admin. <laughs> you do admin. Well, I think it sounds like a like a dream job apart from the writing bit. Yeah, I mean, I love writing. I love getting my teeth into like a really nice bit of what we'd call editorial, you know, like a storytelling piece where I kind of attempt to take the reader on a journey. Um, but then there's also like the email newsletters and they never stop. <laughs> you know, there's always another email newsletter to be written and, and uh, maybe that side is, is, is less less joyful should we say yeah yeah absolutely so as well as the sort of the, the sort of features articles and content you're doing you've been you've been covering all the races as well talk us through how this season's been just from a sanity perspective i mean it's been incredible i think we had like 42 days non-stop didn't we back to there was racing every day for 42 days at one point wasn't there uh, if you say so yeah i mean that certainly sounds like like what it felt like um from my perspective and when you're covering races particularly the grand tours there is a kind of necessity to be abreast of what's been going on so say i'm covering the second week of the vuelta you do still kind of need to be keeping tabs on what's happened in the first week 
as well as maybe you know either watching the Giro for fun or um, you know maybe you're working on it for a different publication or something like that. So it, it creates some real stresses um, in terms of trying to manage all of that. I, I'm quite lucky that I kind of dip in and dip out. So um, Eurosport, I, I my main cycling coverage work is for Eurosport and doing their kind of live blog updates uh, during yeah. a stage or during a, during a one day. Um, and I, I'm basically a substitute teacher in that role. Like I, I only fill in for um, their long-term guy who's a, a fantastic uh, writer and journalist called Felix Lowe, who I'm, I'm sure you're aware yeah. of. Um, yeah. So I, I just kind of man the fort usually in a normal year it's like he wants to have a weekend off and i and i sit in but with these simultaneous races it, it's a case of like being pretty much all hands to the pumps uh for for a solid month and um, i mean it's been great it has been great but it's also been pretty exhausting from a from a working perspective yeah i can well imagine and just logistically i've always wondered how those things work so you're sat there watching and listening to the commentary on tv and then sort of writing sort of periodic emails, uh, sorry, updates as well as sort of reading emails and texts coming in from people at the same time. Is that how it works? Yeah, pretty much. Combing Twitter. I mean, a lot of the best stuff comes from Twitter and you kind of, um, whether you take that tweet and you embed it within the live or you kind of rephrase or you add a little bit more, but the... there isn't always commentary. I think uh, maybe some people forget that there isn't always live pictures. So sometimes you're live blogging a race that you can't see. And that... Oh, no. I hadn't <laughs> thought about that. <laughs> yeah. Um, if, if, say, a one-dayer, um, they, they can't be bothered to, to televise the first 80 kilometres where they're going through, like, Belgian motorways. And, and fair enough, because no one's going to watch that. You're, you're probably still going to be at your post trying to um, spirit up a narrative and, and kind of keep tabs on it. And um, <laughs> I haven't done much coverage of women's racing, but... Um, from what I've gathered, basically all coverage of women's racing is like that. So, so what do you do? Are you sort of picking updates from like the team's Twitter feeds or and stuff like that and the race Twitter feed and just trying to patch it all together, basically? Yeah, yeah. You have to rely on the teams quite a lot, um, particularly if it's, a, if it's a lower scale race. The big ones like the Vuelta, they, they weren't televising all of the Vuelta this year. They have done in, in previous years and obviously we get full wall-to-wall coverage of the tour and the Giro now, which is brilliant for fans, really, really engrossing. You get to I think we've become quite used to seeing those battles for the breakaway every day in the stage. And and to then suddenly have that taken away for the Vuelta this year was quite it was quite uh, quite jarring to, to suddenly not be able to see that because that's that's really quite a fun bit of, of stage racing. So we're trying yeah, so we're trying to use like the the race often will have a live ticker, which is pretty good because that seems to come pretty much from race radio directly onto uh, the onto the feeds. So you can, if it's a slow day, you can watch updates move around the web. So like you'll see it go on the live ticker of the official race, and then you'll publish it on your blog, and then you'll just happen to check, say, Cycling News is live blog, and you'll see the update appear there, slightly paraphrased. And it is funny the way it kind of um, ping pongs around the internet, if you like. Yeah, it must be quite a skill to it as well, sort of patching it all together and seeing it all sort of, as you mentioned, sort of ping pong around. And I suppose the races when you have got live commentary and you sort of sat there focusing and listening and then doing updates, you must go to bed at night and hear like Brian Smith in your dreams, you know, just <laughs> hear it like listening to them sort of nonstop for six hours a day or whatever. Well, it could be worse things than hearing Brian Smith in your dreams. That's true. That's he's true. A, he's a very, he's very kindly joined us. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. He very kindly joined us on here for a chat a few weeks back or a few months back now. But And the other fear is, or maybe this is just because I'm dyslexic, but are you ever paranoid about typos when you're, you're doing the live commentary? That would be something that really freaks me out. Well, I guess with the live blog, the, the beauty of it is that you, you can go back and edit it. It's not fixed. It's not permanent. If you're live tweeting, then you're in trouble. Yeah. You know? You've got to get yeah. it right because there's a, you yeah. know, however many thousands of cycling fans and they are ready and waiting to correct you, <laughs> which I know from personal experience. But um, yeah, with the live blog, you can always go back and edit and maybe you, you mentioned the wrong member of Lotto Sudal is in the breakaway. <laughs> you just go back and fix it. And If it's a real clanger, you can, you can actually make a comment and say, sorry, I've misled you there. 
Richard Carapaz isn't in the breakaway this morning, that kind of thing. But um, those are f- few and far between, really. Yeah, that's good. So your racing knowledge must be up there with anyone's, given given your day job. You must you must know who's doing what and who's moving where and everything that's going on. Well, what what's your sort of overriding view of just how how cycling's managed to put on the races it has this year and how the team and the riders have have coped with what's been quite a dysfunctional season i mean just to pick up on that it's very nice of you to say but i wouldn't say that my knowledge is really sharp i i encounter cycling as a fan and i i've only been involved with with cycling kind of really obsessively for like the last eight years i would say i'm not a lifer um like some people i played I played rugby when I was a kid and that was my sport and, and cycling was something that kind of blossomed into life for me like uh, after the Thomas Vaucler Tour de France. So I'm not, yeah. I wouldn't say, I mean, it sounds like a long time when I say it out loud, but I feel like I'm brand new to this and I'm, I'm kind of engaging with a lot of this for the first time. But um, yeah, to, to, to actually answer your question, um, I think they've done fairly well. I would be you know, having not been on the ground, I can't really speak to, to what it was like at the Giro, but you kind of get a sense that things were less than perfect there, particularly the, the opening kind of départ weekend. Um, I think yeah. some corners were cut and that maybe manifested itself in the, in the protest that we saw. I think it is good to have a strong rider union or it would be good to have a strong rider union and to have a bit more of, of this kind of voice for the peloton because the days of those kind of uh, patrons of the peloton, if you like, like the kind of Cancellara figures who will actually, you know, stand up and, and, and make that kind of statement, that, that seems to have faded away a little bit. Um, so I was pleased to see the kind of the, the strike, albeit, you know, it's not great for the race, but um, I think something has to be done. And, and I think we're on the first steps towards that. So, yeah, I, you know, congratulations to the races that have made it made it work. I think the Vuelta was exceptionally good. No, yeah. no positive tests for riders or staff, as far as I'm aware. <laughs> I did see a tweet that around 40 members of the Spanish police, or, or rather the Guardia Civil, come down with COVID. But you know, that's not great. But they they, did, they managed to to do a bike race, and um, yeah, that's. Yeah. That, that's yeah. worthy of praise in itself, I think. Absolutely, and, and for the Volta as well, I, I read and I didn't really pick up on this, but but no major crashes as well throughout the whole Grand Tour. Is that right? Um, major in the sense of a serious injury, I don't think so, no. We're so used right. to seeing that yeah. at this point. That, that, yeah. yeah. I mean, poor old Danny Martinez, he seemed to just topple off on a, on a rainy day in the first, first couple of days of the race, and that was the end of his race. So I think that, I think that affected... Uh, the Vuelta seismically I don't think we really give it enough uh, space don't think people are really thinking about that I mean like Hugh Carthy's been a revelation but Hugh Carthy wouldn't have got to be a revelation if Danny was still in that race because I think he was a he was a strong favourite to win it so that that was probably the biggest withdrawal but his was you know really innocuous silly crashing yeah, it kind of thing it was, and it, and in terms of the the editorial and the content stuff that you're doing away from the sort of following races and stuff, talk us through some some of the content you've done and some of the brands that you work with and some of the publications you work with as well. Um, I think Cycling Tips is the one that comes immediately to mind. They've been um, they've been kind of great in terms of supporting some of the the weirder stuff I've done, like backing. Backing some content about bike packing, which is not really their core, you know, it's not their core audience at all. But yes, uh, they published a piece I did on, on bike packing in Spain, uh, traveling from Madrid to Pamplona over a week um, and kind of trying to connect up uh, different locations and uh, areas that were significant in the life and the work of Ernest Hemingway, which seems extremely niche when, when I say it out loud. But um, it just comes from a, like a real fandom of my own, of Hemingway and his writing and a kind of more general love of, of Spain and Spanish culture. And uh, yeah. it, it was one of the best things I've ever done in my life, that trip. And, and the fact that Cycling Tips was able to, or, you know, willing to, to publish it meant that it, we got to share it with a lot of people that otherwise wouldn't have seen it. Um, I've seen it, and I actually remember that piece actually, and I didn't realise that was you. So we, we will um, we'll dig that out and put that in the show notes if anyone's interested in having a having a read of that. But it was a, a great bit of work. Yeah, that was that was really fun to do. I mean, that was supported by uh, Brooks and Pedaled. I should give them their you know their due mention. Um, and then 
The year after that, we did a, a, another supported bikepacking trip, which was which was seven days again, uh, an entire lap of the country of Macedonia or, or North Macedonia, as it as it's called now. Which was really just that literally sprung out of the the, the kind of stupid pun Lapidonia, <laughs> and we we were like, let's do it. It's a tiny country. It's the only country in Europe you could feasibly really ride a lap of in a week, and that was unbelievable. You know, like. That was that was sponsored by Canyon and by Met Helmets, the, the Italian yeah. uh, helmet brand, and that was just out of this world, man. I mean, Spain is is you know it's it's, it's big and it's empty, but it's it's uh, it feels Western European, whereas yeah. North Macedonia is right on the fringes of of, uh, of Europe. I would say not literally. It is not positionally on the fringes of Europe, but it feels like you're you're entering a different world kind of thing. I got hit by a car on the third or fourth day, and the and the driver just drove away from the scene. Um, oh, wow! He came like screaming into this this roundabout. It must have been like 60, 70 miles an hour, and skidded through the roundabout, hit me, sent me into the middle of the you know like the the kind of planted flowers area of the in the center of the roundabout obliterated the curb of the roundabout itself got out of the car ran over to me basically saw that i was conscious and sort of moving around not too badly hurt and then ran straight back to his car and got in and drove away off again jesus that's lucky escape <laughs> yeah well i was i was going through the air you know you have that split second moment when you get in a crash or, or anything like that you think time really slows down and, and I thought, well, this is the one, isn't it? This is you, you're dead this time. Game over. <laughs> and then, like and, the cops turned up, the ambulance came, we got checked out, and then you know they they we we had to get on. We had to do the rest of our day's ride. So you know we gave a statement through a translator, and then they waved us off, basically, kind of looking a bit concerned. And yeah, that was that. So it's a, it's a wild if you want. So talk us through topography, uh, just the general scenery, climate. What uh, Tell us about Macedonia. Well, Macedonia is um, the country to the north of Greece. And climate-wise, it's very similar. Uh, very, very hot. Can't recall the month we were there, but yeah, it was, it was really, really hot. And that was our biggest battle, really. We were doing about 100 kilometers a day, which um, to you, Jules, and to like a lot of the people that are, are part of the Unfound community probably doesn't sound very much, but it was just a slog, you know, like you either choose to ride during the middle of the day and, and that, that saps you, or you try to avoid the middle of the day and uh, that shortens your, your kind of window of, of riding time. But yeah, it was very, very hot. Um, topographically, it's, we kind of, when I planned the route, we, we, we wanted to hit like the national parks because we thought that's where the beautiful riding will be, which means yeah. uh, quite a lot of mountains, lots of mountains in the west, uh, lots of mountains in the east. And then um, it's kind of characterized by a, a flat plain um, in the kind of south which we rode across. And um, there's also some mountains in the centre of the country too, which we, we made our way to. Yeah, so the, it, it was a challenging, challenging trip. But good, ro- good roads and food was okay and Terrible. nice people. <laughs> <laughs> Terrible roads, very bad food. <laughs> I mean, I, I, one tries never to be too negative about these places that you visit because you're a guest, right? And I mean, we were bikepacking, so we're sleeping out on the, out on the ground every night. So we didn't encounter a lot of Macedonian people. Yeah. When we did, I remember being in one of the kind of really sketchier towns and becoming quite uncomfortable at the fact that like lots of people were looking at us and kind of watching what we were doing. And like there were kids kind of laughing at the way we were eating the bread at the, at the, at the table for lunch and things like that. Really? And it, it, it felt very odd to be so noticeably foreign in a country that is, you know, majority white, just like where we, we come from. Um, I've had yeah. that experience in Vietnam, for example, and you're like, yeah, this makes sense. I'm the only white guy here. Um, and yeah. I'm, like, I'm sure you, well, maybe not Hong Kong, because that's, that's where you're from, isn't it? Or, or where you've lived. Uh, I've lived there for 10 years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, no, not so much there. But Vietnam, I've, I've, I've been there. I know what you mean, yeah. So it was odd in that respect to be in Europe, but to feel so foreign. Uh, yeah, people were nice, though. I mean, really didn't get what we were doing or why. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, very happy and helpful and nice, you know, 
pleased to see us. That's awesome. So you obviously love traveling, right? That's something you've, you've always been interested in and, and bikepacking. That's always been a thing for you or? Well, yeah, last five years, I guess. My first bikepacking trip was, was just, you know, just a good old classic cycle tour. Two panniers on the back of a, of a steel road bike. And I went to, I took a flight to Santander because it was the cheapest flight from London that you could, you could buy at the time. Um, and then I cycled along the coast, the north coast that the Vuelta has just been flirting with. Really lovely. And um, the Vuelta was on at that time. So I found a campsite, a proper campsite, not a, not a kind of wild camping thing yeah. near the bottom of one of the summit finishes and, and rode up and couldn't, I remember vividly, I couldn't get up the hill. Um, it was too steep for me. I didn't have the gears and I was quite new to cycling at that point. I hadn't really had a road bike for very long and I had to get off. And um, it was at the bit where the crowd had already started to gather. You know, we were only about 500 meters from the top of this really steep summit finish. So there were people kind of cheering and bloke tried to give me a push and get me back going. And it was just, that was my first exposure to a grand tour stage, you know, being on the roadside. And it was, it was miraculous. I, I, I mean, it really left an impression on me. And then I remember seeing maybe half an hour later when I got my breath back, I'd, I'd found a place to watch the finish from and, I saw this old guy, like 50-year-old Spanish bloke in the full club kit. Just, you know, he, he rode to the finish, no problem at all. Put his bike down, got a pack of uh, ciggies out of his jersey pocket and lit one up. <laughs> I was like, wow, Spanish cycling culture is a different world, man. That's hilarious. That's amazing. And obviously this, this year must have been incredibly frustrating just with regards to the lack of opportunities to travel. But looking to 2021 and 2022, do you have any, any more trips planned or any to-do to locations that you want to get out to? Yes. Um, I mean, I've done some quite far-flung cycling in the past. Places like Jordan where it was really quite eye-opening. Amazing, yeah. I'd, I'd, well, what time of year were you in Jordan? February, I think. February to March. I have a, a very good friend from, from uni who's who was posted out there. He works for the government. So it was kind of a case of a, of a free place to stay for a month. And yeah, we managed to get out on the bikes a few times out into the into the desert, basically. The mountains and the desert. Was it because I... I I've, I've I've heard it's a spectacular place. And I've, I've heard actually, depending what time of year you go, it can actually be quite green sometimes of the year and then the rest of the year is basically total desert and it just flips between the two very quickly yeah i mean it's a very, it's a very big country very varied um in the north um the capital amman is high it's high up in the air so it's it's cool and you can sit outside and kind of feel a bit of a chill um while the sun is yeah. shining uh, in february and then yeah some real days of suffering i remember <laughs> we went we went for a ride with a hangover one day and couldn't cope we had to call it <laughs> we had to call a taxi come get us uh, because it was just the, the heat was too too severe and there's obviously there's nothing there right you're not passing there's not going to be a bp garage where you can buy a coca-cola yeah. nothing but yeah very green very lush Blimey. really wild awesome. out, you know like bright red sand and these high kind of rock formations that have been i think that's where they shot the martian was in the south of jordan you know they, yeah the, the martian landscape yeah amazing amazing where, where else have you been well I, I mean i've been listening to a few of your your old episodes and and i listened to the one with julian valet from um from hood route uh, yeah. because i know him from a trip that we he and i were both on so i went to i went to the same greece trip that he did last year yeah, he said it was amazing yeah yeah, uh, yeah. I, I mean he 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 really echoed my kind of sentiments of it i mean he and I are a different class of cyclists, right? Like he's he's incredibly modest, but he is an absolute machine, and he's just like crushing every climb. The the company that we were we were there as guests of is called uh, Pedal Grease, and they'd found some pacers basically for the ride, and they were like local guys, super strong, kind of semi pro. And Julian's just like he's beating them up these climbs. Meanwhile, I'm like at the back, kind of struggling. The the the, the tour company, the bloke who owns it, is like. You sure you don't want to get in the car? <laughs> so it was quite a chastening experience for me. But yeah, I loved it and um, had never really considered Greece up to that point as somewhere you would go to ride a bike. Just thought it was like beaches with, with drunk British people on them. But there's so much of it that's sort of wild and empty. That's what I love about it. There's so many places that I want to go cycle in the world. There's so much to go and see and do, isn't there? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm, I'm, I love Spain. I have lived in Girona this last, this last winter, right up until basically 
Spanish lockdown and then British lockdown came in. I was living in Girona. Oh, really? Yeah, and that was that was amazing. I'd, I'd love to spend more time in Spain, do a few more bikepacking routes. I've actually been planning a bikepacking trip this week, you know, very early stages, trying to work out when we would go and do it. But essentially to ride from Seville to Santiago de Compostela, which is kind of oh, wow. the south in Andalusia, north through a province called Extremadura, which is very, very empty and kind of, um, you know, depopulated. And then you, you arrive at Santiago de Compostela, which is the one of the three most important pilgrimage points in kind of yeah. medieval Christianity. So you would either go on your pilgrimage to to Rome, to Jerusalem, or you'd go to, to Santiago de Compostela. And the, the, the really famous way to go there is, the, is the, the French way. So you go over the Pyrenees and along the north coast. And that's what everyone kind of does when they when they go and walk the Camino Santiago. That's typically the route they do, but there are Camino routes all over Spain and actually all around Europe. I, I've always had this idea that the the Via de la Plata, the, the one from the south, would be the most the most striking and kind of challenging. I think that would be a gravel gravel trip, to be honest. From the look, just going to say, yeah, would that be gravel? It would be, would it? Yeah, I mean, I'm not really a big gravel guy. I, I don't own a gravel bike. I've, I've borrowed them on occasion, and I think they're incredible machines. But um, it would probably involve going around to a few a few cycling brands with my cap in my hand and, and saying, can I borrow one for, <laughs> for a week or two? If anyone's listening, <laughs> now's your option. <laughs> Some details will be in the show notes. You can drop him a line if you want to uh, lend him a bike to uh, do his backpacking tour on. Absolutely. Yeah, please, please don't hesitate to call. Excellent. And look, I'm very interested to, to hear a little bit more around what you've been doing with in Sierra Leone as well. How did you first get involved with cycling there and and what, what took you there in the first instance? Um, I was invited to go to take part in an event uh, by a charity called Street Child. They're a British uh, NGO charity, um, and they operate in some of the world's poorest countries. They focus on education, keeping kids in school, getting kids back into school. And they they basically deployed in Sierra Leone in the middle of the uh, Ebola outbreak. And they were instrumental in kind of keeping kids in school and kind of safe and, and that kind of thing. And they've had enormous success in the past with a fundraising event where they, they actually put on the Sierra Leone Marathon in a town called McKenney in the north of, of Sierra Leone. And they wanted to try and tap into some of that fundraising event magic, but with cycling, because they saw that as another area where they could probably put on a cool event. So the original format of that event was, it was called the West Africa Cycle Challenge. And it went from Bo in Sierra Leone to Liberia, went to the coast of Liberia, a town called Robertsport and they invited me along and the idea was that I would write it up for a few um, websites and magazines and get them some press coverage in return for like some of the expenses of the the trip being covered so I didn't do any fundraising I just went along and and kind of wrote up and and contributed in that way and it was a you know phenomenal trip really eye-opening my first time in Africa anywhere um, and to be dropped into like West Africa. It was just like a full-on assault on the senses. And it was, you know, brilliant. One of the best things, one of the best trips I've ever done. We weren't going very far every day. It was it took us a week to go about 300 kilometers. And that's a combination of like the heat, the terrain. There were bits where there just wasn't a road. You know, it like not even like the suggestion of some old tarmac, like just huge kind of canyons and crevices in um, packed orange dirt pathway about one car wide and we were there at the very beginning of the early season of the rainy season so june i think and so there would be a daily downpour like you know huge rain i'm sure you're used to the similar kind of thing in like hong kong where it just buckets down for a short amount of time so you get soaked but then you'd be dry within a kind of half an hour of riding through the through the rain Um, but it would leave these enormous vivid orange puddles all over the road um, so that's something i kind of very strongly remember and on that trip was uh, a local mechanic that street child had employed to kind of be the be the, the the expedition mechanic basically and he sourced all the bikes so this is the other thing we were doing this trip on like shopping bikes hybrids 
mostly amazing they get donated from from america and from the uk and there's some brilliant charities uh village bicycle project is the one in the us and, and recycle is, is one of several doing this in in the uk details in the show notes obviously <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely i'm throwing it now now yeah well they'll all be in there <laughs> <laughs> and he he would he would take these bikes that arrive in a massive shipping container sometimes like four or five thousand bikes fix them up the majority of them are donated to people that need them uh school kids local health workers that kind of thing people that need to get about and he fixed up a few and provided them to the to the expedition so he came along he brought two cyclists from from sierra leone along which was fantastic you know we actually got a chance to kind of have a conversation with people that shared this passion even though they're coming at it from this completely the opposite end of the kind of wealth spectrum if you like and at the end of the trip he said you know i've got i've got a cycling team that i founded and i organized and i said wow i've got a cycling team that i founded and organized because uh, at the time i was living in london and there was the 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 quote-unquote president of a, of a cycling team there and he said maybe we can maybe we can cooperate on something and i was like yeah hell yeah whatever you want so i came back with this real fire in my belly like this dude his name's um his name's abdul karim camera but everyone in sierra leone calls him stylish is that stylish stylish yeah they're very big on nicknames in Sierra Leone. They're very big on nicknames. And he's called Stylish because he he used to do BMX tricks on the street in Freetown. And, and like, he had so much style that people started calling him Stylish. Um, Brilliant. That's a cool nickname. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We all dream of getting a, a nickname that cool. And so he's like this phenomenal dude and he'd achieved so much. And I was like, well, if he can do all of that from nothing right? Like I should do something to help him. So I put my cycling club to work, raising money, finding some kit for them because he was like, we don't have anything. Stylish was like, we, we need jerseys. We need shorts. We need, we need everything from, from a pedal up to a full bike frame. We need it all. So I was like, okay, I'm sure there's some of that in London. Like there's plenty of cyclists who, who you know, upgraded their bike every year for the last three years and they've got frame sets and group sets and all that stuff so let me try and see what i can do and i went back to london kind of inspired and, and, and energized and my cycling club put on um some some sort of not really legal hill climbs we did a, a league of, of hill climbing competitions on hills around london with no permits or anything and like kind of just kept it pretty gorilla but we did a cake sale at every one of these these and like raised a little bit of money like that and did did a few other kind of fundraising drives and things like that and co- coordinated some some kit and equipment donations as well and then then Stars was like can we have a can you make us a jersey for the team and I was like okay he said no team in Sierra Leone has ever had a cycling jersey no way so I was like yeah well, hell yeah, we can do that. So we spoke to the guys who made our kit, a brand called Miltag in, in London. And they made our club kit and we were like, can you do this? And they were like, yeah, we, we think we can do this. We'll give it to you as cheap as we can. And we then took it to, I took it to some guys who used to employ me at a, at a marketing agency called Speak Media. There's two guys there who are really responsible for getting me into cycling. And they George and Paul. And they were, they were phenomenal. They funded that whole first batch of kit. And we sold, you know, we sold some kit to people in the UK and took a profit on that and passed that on to, to Stylish and the team in the form of, of cash. But we also sent them, I think, sort of 15 to 20 jerseys for the team. And they're still riding in those, you know, competing. And they're still the only team in, in Sierra Leone that has a jersey that's, that's theirs. Yeah. Which is, you know, I'm immensely proud of that. Like, we've, we've got that's it. amazing, mate. Yeah. That's so cool. And before before we go on to in terms of like trying to figure out what's next in terms of what people might be able to get involved in 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 helping you help them. How how talk us through the the cycling scene in Sierra Leone. Obviously, they're the only team with kit, but there is a race scene there. What they're what they're sort of into. How does it work? How how many races are they doing? What kind of racing is it? Yeah, it's a great question. So the biggest race is actually the Tour de Lunsar, which is put on by the Lunsar cycling team, which is Stylish's team. Um, and that's a real road race in the sense that 
it starts in Lunsar and they do a few laps of a town centre, what we would think of as a town centre crit, but it's really just a block of the market. And they just whiz around the market a few times and then they go out to another town on this road and they come back and then they do like uh, 10 more laps. And it's not, the roads aren't closed in the traditional sense. Like the road in the town is closed to traffic. You can't drive a car along it during the race. But the main road that they go on the out and back, that's open, right? So there's like petrol tankers buzzing past the peloton and then stuff like that. So it's, you know, it's really, um, I don't know, we call it lo-fi, however you want to describe it. You know, it's, it's really, really basic stuff. Sketchy, yeah. It is pretty sketchy. Yeah. And then there are other races dotted about. Uh, Freetown is the capital of Sierra Leone, and that has the majority of its population lives in Freetown. And there are three or four cycling teams, including C2C and, and Flames is another one. And they are they occasionally put on races, but the main kind of big event, it, it happens on Boxing Day every year. It's a kind of national sports competition. So... There'll be multiple sports going on and it's kind of a big celebration. They use the national stadium and, and there's a bike race that goes around the running track. So that's, wow. you know, that, that, that's not what we would really consider bike racing, you know, in, in the truest sense. It's kind of a weird mix of track cycling and, 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 and road cycling on a very boring crit circuit. Yeah. So that's one of the battles, you know, there, there are other races. There's a race called the Trenk race. Um, I've never really got to the bottom of what Trenk is, um, but the race is called the Trenk race. And sometimes it happens and sometimes it doesn't. At the moment, pretty much everything's shut down as it is in, in a lot of the world. Um, yeah. I haven't been many races this year, but one thing that we've put in place with Lunsa is that for the last year or so, they've done a monthly club race. And that's just to keep those skills sharp and to try and give them something to focus on when the rest of the season is so unpredictable you can't really count on a race actually happening so um the monthly race has been a big success and we're actually going to roll that out so that um we have one invitational team come and take part every every month it'll be a different team so um, the free time yeah the free time clubs will come and, and there's a team in McKenney as well that, that is quite well developed so there's maybe six teams so obviously the team there with, with their with their kit now probably pretty probably looking pretty good off the back of that has there been like an increased interest in cycling it's growing the sport is growing off what the team what the work the team are doing but also you know the kit and everything else more interest in it yeah absolutely i mean it's i would venture to say that outside of of football outside of soccer it is the biggest youth focused program in Lunsa, the town where the team is based like it, it, there's this bike shop that stylish has and it's just like it's constantly full of young men young women hanging around some of them work there some of them it's just like it's the social hub and stylish's house is the same it's, there's always young people around and i think without i mean i don't know everything about sierra leone but i, I feel like it, it's such a valuable thing to have a kind of community focus you know it's something that's operates on the, the kind of principles of like being healthy uh being dedicated working hard these are all really amazing values. yeah i i couldn't agree more you mentioned you grew up playing rugby as did i i think playing any kind of sport growing up it gives you so much like such an education in its own in its own right so it's fascinating to hear that it's growing is it? so, so what's the plan now where where are you at now you you've got some kit out there What's what's the next sort of goal in terms of helping them develop cycling out there? I mean, it is that consistency of the calendar for me. I think um, we we I would like there to be a kind of um, you you familiar with the tour series, the kind of local crit yes. in different British towns. I would love it if we could get to that point whereby there are races with prize money in all the kind of towns that have a cycling team and and kind of bring some kind of formal structure to that to that season. If I put it in real terms, in Sierra Leone you can basically put on a bike race for a thousand pounds. And that that gets you like police to control the roads and it, you know all the permits that you need and, and it will cover like prize money but also food and travel to the races because travel's wow. a difficult thing in Sierra Leone. Like no one owns a car. Yeah. So you got kind of if you're even going to go to the next town, you need to either have a good mate who has a car, or you need to be paying like taxis or or group buses and things like that. So that's my that's kind of what I would love to achieve. I think it would also be amazing 
And I'm, I'm not a performance guy. I'm not a sports scientist. I don't really understand that, that uh, facet of the sport, but I would love to get to the point where we can do some testing with our riders because I suspect we have some phenomenal athletes, like natural athletes among, uh, among the riders, not just in, in the, the Lundsar cycling team, but in Sierra Leone cycling generally. But nobody knows because nobody's ever done a VO2 max test or any of that stuff you know so it would be it would be amazing if we could get to that point but in the short to midterm yeah more races and kind of better kit and equipment too i mean there's a lot okay, of- so how, how can we get involved i mean obviously anyone that's listening that wants to, to help or feel they can help in any way please do reach out to either ourselves or tom and all our details will be in the show notes but you mentioned sort of kit and equipment what what's the next objective there and how can anyone listening that wants to get involved help either with fundraising or, or anything else yeah uh, great great question thank you tease me up for the bit the hard sell really nicely so yeah we have a gofundme campaign running at the moment and we are trying to buy uh eight proper competition ready uh road bikes to, to race on because at the moment every rider races on his own bike or if he can borrow one from from the kind of ones that are communally owned by the team he will do that right and We've had one or two frames actually donated um, by by donors in in the UK. Um, I took one of them over personally myself um, when I went in 2019. But yeah, we need to buy some real bikes. We need to buy some bikes that are made, you know, this decade and have all the same parts. And when when I say all the same parts, I mean they all have the same drivetrain, they all have the same kind of componentry, so that they can be mixed and matched and replaced as and when is required. And uh, we are fundraising on GoFundMe at the moment. I think we have enough at this point to buy six of the eight bikes that we need. We might be getting closer to seven now. But yeah, if anyone feels that they have a little bit of cash to donate, that would be that would be phenomenal. Um, Amazing, yeah. And then the other thing is is equipment. If you have an old Shimano cassette or some pedals or handlebar i mean we got five handlebars donated by the service course in girona at the end of last year and that was just phenomenal because those are now the five best handlebars in sierra leone so like whatever you have it will get used and um, we're trying to get all the team onto shimana uh, because it's the most ubiquitous you know so that doesn't mean we necessarily turn down like a campag derailleur but what we really desperately need is is um is is kind of shimano componentry and all the bits that go to making a bike from from a pedal up to a frame set and and tools as well do they have all the tools they need out there or additional bits chains and other 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 sort of bits and pieces we have actually got um we've had some wonderful support from park tool park tool has supplied a few sets of um of of full mechanics sets with the whole toolbox and those have been given to i mean it was it was a fundraiser from a charity called africa rising who who are amazing they are the the leading kind of force in development of african cycling they were the key drivers behind rwandan cycling and its growth over the last 10 years so they really know what they're doing and they've been immeasurably helpful and they set up a fundraiser to get some park tools kit so that's probably an area where they are better supplied than than most people certainly better than me and those those park tools sets have been given to um, bike mechanics who have recently been trained mostly by stylists they've now set up their own businesses in various various towns so there are new bike mechanic businesses set up in, in McKenney uh, as a direct result of that so that's that's, that's great where they're pretty well set but yeah anything like a chain amazing bits and pieces brilliant so uh, contact details will be in the show notes if anyone's interested in helping out or getting involved please do drop us a line we'd love to hear from you and thank you in advance and tom just before we I've got a couple other things i wanted to speak to you about uh, have you have you published any articles just with regard to what's going on in sierra leone in terms of the racing have you have you there, where can people find out information have you got any links that we can share with people if they want to read a little bit more or see some photos or whatever it's like it's quite hard to visualize it if you've never been there right oh absolutely yeah um so there would probably be three main ones cycling tips ran uh, a feature on the tour de lunsa if you if you tap tour de lunsa into google uh, and cycling tips you'll, you'll find it the second one would be uh, a vice.com profile that I, I wrote about karim about stylish himself um, which kind of really delves into a lot more about like kind of what he does and, and how he achieves these incredible things that he's achieving and the third thing which I, i've kind of been a bit neglectful and not mentioning is that um the clothing brand lacole with whom i think you're familiar already jules yeah yeah 
they very generously supplied the first ever national team kit for the Sierra Leone national cycling team. And they have published a couple of things on their website about that, about creating the kit and also the kind of the existing conditions of racing and, uh, and competing in Sierra Leone. So those would be the three ones I would recommend to to, uh, to check out and I'll get those links over to you as soon as I can. Yeah, great. We'll put them on there and, and have a look at them. I encourage everyone to have a look. Now, the other thing I wanted to bring up with you, my, one of my favourite bits of cycling content of the year is your uh, Panini sticker collection. <laughs> how did that come about? <laughs> yes. Well, it's quite, you know, it's quite, a, I was thinking about how did it come about because I thought you'd probably ask about that. And, and the truth is quite a drab origin was that like, I was pretty bummed out about lockdown and I discovered, I actually was aware of the Panini sticker album for the Tour de France a year ago. It wasn't something that existed when I was a kid. I had football stickers and I loved them. And I, I remember like really coveting these these things and finding it like, just the most joyful thing to collect, um, collect, collect those stickers, pictures of players from like Blackburn Rovers and like the shiny version of their stadium and all that like stuff. So I found out the Tour de France stickers existed and um, you couldn't really buy them anywhere in the UK last year. And they were still quite hard to find in the UK this year, but I, I took the plunge and I bought the album from Panini's uh, Soviet era website and like duly about three weeks later it appeared through my front door along with a box of stickers and i started collecting them and, and swapping them with my sad grown adult male friends and, and yeah swapsies exactly mate very very important to do some swapsies because like this is the other thing is like we're all we're all earning salaries now so like if we wanted to we could just buy enough boxes of these stickers buy the packs 50 at a time and just fill it, fill in an album. But the swaps is the joy of it, isn't it? Really, and the haggling, the haggling. You know, can I get two of his from one of mine, and that kind of stuff. So it was really just nostalgia. I wanted to get back into something I enjoyed as a kid, and uh, I started sticking these stickers in and looking at these faces of these riders that you know, you and you and I and, and a lot of people that watch a lot of bike racing, you can probably recognize some of these guys by the way that they pedal, but you might struggle to actually say what they look like because they're these helmeted, sunglassed kind of droids on the top of those bikes, right? So I was actually looking these, these people in the face for the first time, it felt like. And I suppose realizing that Manuele Buaro and Fabio Felide <laughs> look like each other for the first time and and they're actually like they're next to each other in the book when you stick them into the sticker album they aren't actually next to each other so it really brings that home and i think that's probably the inspiration really just that uh, discovery and for anyone that hasn't seen it i mean for me i don't know why it just i, I again maybe it's the nostalgia of the sticker collections but what Tom has done so wonderfully, he's done a, a little bit of a tongue-in-cheek look-alike assumption of of what some of these photos look like, and it is absolutely hilarious. I, I came across it in a kind of a, a down lockdown week when I wasn't feeling great, and it brought tears to my eyes with laughter. It was one of the funniest things I've seen all year. So I, I highly encourage. I, I know that um, Cycling Tips got onto it, didn't they? And, and uh, you've done an article there, so I'll post the link in the show notes for that. But please have a read of it. It will honestly make your week. Yeah, I mean, I feel like we there can't be very many people who actually care about cycling at this point that haven't seen it because it. I mean, I, I, it sounds boastful, but it, it went viral in a in a way that like that's almost normal people internet viral. Do you know what I mean? Like, there's like four thousand likes on that on that top tweet, which you can you can find the whole thread on my on my Twitter account as well, which is Tom Owencc, I should say. But yeah, I, I think there were some kind of comments, particularly from like Americans, that being like, "Don't know what Tesco is." Like, there were the, the, it, it's kind of it is uniquely British enough without being con- consistently British. I mean, like. There's one about, I think it's your favourite, Jules, the one about Dylan Gronewegen looking like a rugby player for um, for a club called Barnes. And like, if you've not... Barnes second 15, yeah. Barnes second 15. So if you've not lived in London and, and, and not been interested in rugby, then you're just not going to get it. But I think there's enough there to be like, most people could, could have a like, a smile at it. Oh, it's hilarious. I think it's absolutely brilliant. I used to live next to Barnes Rugby Club, actually, on in uh, many moons ago. But um, yeah, no, it's, it's very amusing. And uh, I think most people can absolutely can absolutely get it. Have you heard from any of the riders themselves? Have you heard any, any how it's gone down within the peloton? 
Um, no one's actually contacted me directly, but like a few of the guys actually mentioned in it have have interacted. I mean, the biggest one was Mark Mark Cavendish retweeted it. Mark Cavendish wasn't featured because I felt like everybody already knows what Mark Cavendish looks like, and they all probably have their own preconceptions of what his lookalikes are and that kind of thing. So it didn't really make sense to me to do any of the really, really famous guys. But Sam Bennett's wife, um, is her name Tara, I think? Uh, I might have got that wrong, but Sam Bennett's wife said, I can't wait for for Sam to be featured. And um, the really funny one was George Bennett. He's actually one of the ones that's featured in the the thread. And he retweeted it and he said, yeah, this is pretty accurate, to be fair. (laughs) (laughs) Brilliant as well. Remind me exactly what he said. I can't, no, I've got to hear it. Uh, like he had um, he had an eight episode arc in the the teen soap Hollyoaks in the UK, and after that, he spent his life uh, making a living by seducing millionaires on the French Riviera. And you know that's that's the kind of thing that cracks me up. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that photo, he looks exactly like someone who would do that. It's brilliant. Yeah, I, please, everyone, check it out. It's absolutely hilarious. If you haven't seen it yet, I'm sure most of you have. But uh, yeah, I enjoyed it very much. So thank you for taking the time to to do that for us. No, it was it was an absolute joy. And like the best things are the ones that make you make you crack up yourself, right? And I posted it and I thought, this is going to go one of two ways. This is going to be one of those ones where everyone ignores it or it's going to be big. And it turned out to be pretty big and I was, I was delighted. I mean, I was, I was giddy about that for a week afterwards. My girlfriend got sick of it because I was just reading the comments and I was reading, the, you know, like seeing how many views had been and seeing which ones were the most popular and thinking about other ones that I could do. Yeah, she was absolutely sick to the back teeth of it by the end of that week. Brilliant. That's hilarious. Very good, Tom. Look, thank you so much for for taking the time to have a chat with us, particularly after you've just recovered from what's been a manic few months of covering so much racing. It's very kind of you. Have we missed anything? Is there anything else you wanted to bring up or add? No, I just want to say thanks for having me on. You know, it's great to have an opportunity to talk about um, Sierra Leone particularly. And um, I'm a a huge fan of this podcast and and the concept behind it because... I actually thought like someone should do a podcast which is not riders and not talking about races. And then I was like, oh, Jules has done it. Good. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Well, I'd love to get you back on next year and maybe we can think about something that we can do with regards to helping you raise some money and stuff. But please, anyone listening that wants to get involved, let's get involved. And yeah, thanks for taking the time and, and we'll catch up next year and, and enjoy getting back out on the bike again. Cheers, guys. Thanks very much. Cheers, Tom. Thanks a lot. Really appreciate it. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe to the podcast. And more importantly, don't forget to download the Unfound app and join cyclists from around the world on the hub. We'll see you on there.